to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're going to finish our Bible study series on the book of Jonah. And we've given it a subtitle, God is Gracious and Merciful. Most people think of Jonah and they think of all the unusual things about his story. That he ran from God, great storm, swallowed by this great fish, in the fish for three days, three nights, thrown up on the shore, goes to preach to Nineveh. Nineveh repents, the people of Nineveh repents, and then Jonah gripes and complains. And... uh, some of those details are a lot more sensational than the others, but that's what we people think of. But when you look for it, when you pay attention to it, the book is really about God's grace and mercy. And it's shown all the way through to Jonah over and over and over and over again, to Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, and to the sailors. And to, you know, it's just God's grace and mercy. And we've been pointing that out all the way through. Okay? Um, so anyway, tonight we're going to wrap it up. We've already covered every single chapter. This is going to be kind of an overview and a specific topic. But I want to start off by saying this. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book, and when it ended, you still didn't know how it ended? And I don't mean because like it got cut off or somebody ripped the last pages out, because that's the way they wrote the stupid thing. That's the way I feel about it. Have you ever watched one of those movies? You're going along like, oh, how's it going to end? And then it's like it just leaves you hanging. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's because to be continued. I don't like that either, unless I've got access to the sequel right away. In fact, I love to read. Um, and I got to the point where if there's a book by one of my favorite authors or something, and I look at it and it says it's like the first of a series they're going to write, I won't even read the first book until a couple years down the road and they've written all of them because I don't want to be hanging. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I, just, I just like things to be wrapped up in a nice little, neat little bow. And I really like it when the ending, whether they say it or not, and they live happily ever after. You know, that's cool. You know, I just don't like to be left hanging. And even you like being left hanging. You like those kind of stories where they, you get to the end and you have to make up your own ending. Nobody. Oh, a couple people. That's why they keep making them. Oh, oh you, you always read the end first? Oh, no, I don't like to do that. But anyway, I don't like this kind. And some Bibles, some stories in the Bible are like that. And Jonah's one of those. Jonah is one of those stories. I mean, there's several storylines that come to a completion, but it leaves you hanging. All right. The title of our lesson tonight is Responding to God's Message. Responding to God's Message. God gave Jonah a message to take to the Ninevites, and obviously he had to prod him to go more than one time. So there's the message to the Ninevites. But along the way, he gave Jonah a number of messages, and he responded in different ways. And so, as I said, we've already covered kind of all the basics of the story, but I want to overview it today and talk about how did Jonah, how did the Ninevites respond to God's message? What was the long-term results? And what does that say about us and how we might respond to God when he talks to us? Okay, so we're going to review the story of Jonah, but we're not going to read all four chapters, even though it's relatively short and you can read it pretty quick. We're not going to do the whole thing. But if you want to follow along in Jonah chapter one, we're going to read a couple chapter, a couple verses out of each chapter and summarize what's between. So we start with Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship that was going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, you know, you can't run away from the presence of the Lord. Okay. So God told him to go to Nineveh, 500 and something miles to the northeast. So he gets on a boat that's going to go 2,000 miles to the west. All right. Trying to run from God and his call on his life. God wouldn't let him go. God sent this great storm. The sailors are battling the storm. They're calling out to their gods. They tell Jonah to pray to his God. In the course of the conversation, they discover that Jonah's the problem. And the sailors say, what should we do? He says, throw me overboard. They said, no, we don't want to do that. They're full of mercy and compassion for Jonah. Jonah doesn't have any mercy and compassion at this point. But there's some good reasons for that. The people God told him to go preach to were basically terrorists or that type of people. And he was afraid for his life and they had threatened his nation, but God told him to go. So anyway, they finally throw him overboard and we get to the end of chapter 1, verse 17. It says... I probably should have gotten down there. There it is. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And you get to chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. We studied this prayer that he prayed, talking about how when he'd been thrown overboard, he went down to the bottom of the ocean, was drowning, wrapped with seaweed before God had the fish swallow him. But then when he cried out to God, God delivered him. And he had confidence and hope for the future so we get to the end of chapter 2 in verse 10 after god had dealt with him for three days and three nights in the fish it says in verse 10 and the lord spoke to the fish and it vomited jonah out upon the dry ground now he's on the seashore he's still 500 and something miles from nineveh so he's got to walk that it probably takes him about a month to get to nineveh chapter 3 verse 1 then the word of the lord came to jonah the second time saying Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh is an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. You read the rest of the chapter, you find out the king gets involved. He tells everybody they have to fast and put on sackcloth, not just the people, but all the animals. So it seems that they truly, truly repent. And so we get to verse 10, and it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Well, you would think, that, as we said last week, that would be a great place to end the story. Jonah was a little bit reluctant, well, a lot of bit reluctant. God got his attention, sent him, he preached, everybody repented, end of story, great, but it doesn't end there. We get to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, but this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He says, in other words, God, I knew that you'd forgive him. I didn't want you to forgive him. And as I said, he had very good reason to feel that way. It doesn't make it right. But they had threatened his nation before. And um, they were very evil people. What we would think of like terrorists and tortured people. Did terrible things to people. Um, so anyway, Jonah goes into a big pout, and he sits outside the city. We don't know exactly why. Maybe he was hoping that God would change his mind and zap him anyway. 
We don't know, but he's out there and he's under the shelter he built. It's hot. God allowed a plant to grow up and give him some shade. He's so pleased for that. And then God allowed a worm to eat the plant, so it died. And so Jonah gets all upset again. There's a hot wind blowing. And he's basically saying to God, kill me. Just kill me, God. I'm ready to die. And God says, "Are you? do you really have the right to be so angry? He says, I am angry enough to die. We get to the end of the chapter, verses 10 and 11. And this is where we're left hanging. It says, the Lord said, you pity the plant. That's the plant God caused to grow to give him shade that he allowed to be Killed. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So the 120,000 persons, it could mean either there's that many children, you know, they don't really know that much, or it could just be talking about the whole population that they just don't have a moral compass. And that was kind of a, uh, 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 a cultural way of saying they don't know right from, they don't know good from bad, whatever. So why are you upset that I wanted to reach out to them? And he says, if you don't feel sorry for the people, don't you even feel sorry for the cattle? Aren't you glad they were delivered? And that's how the story ends. That's how it is. So I want to talk about a couple of questions tonight. What happened to Jonah? What happened to the Ninevites? And what does that mean for us today? Now, on your note sheet, I have the question, what happened to Jonah with no fill in the blank? Because I don't know what you want to write down for this. There's nothing simple. So you can write whatever you want to in that blank. Okay? Uh, after I get done with that part, you can write in there. He gave us way too much information. I don't know. <laughs> whatever you want to write. But what happened to Jonah? So it ends with God asking this question. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? But he's been saying, Jonah said, just kill me, God. Just kill me. Now, let me ask you a question. We don't know what happened to Nineveh. But what are some things that possibly could have happened to Nineveh. And I don't mean just happened to Nineveh, but what could Jonah have chosen to do or think or say or be? How could Jonah possibly have responded to this whole situation after thinking about it a little bit longer? Any thoughts about different possibilities that could have happened to Jonah for the rest of his life? Any thoughts? Nobody? Vita? Vita? He definitely received grace and mercy. So how do you think he may have responded to it? Mm -hmm. I mean, after that. Yeah, he did respond and go to... I'm talking about after the story's over in the book. What do you think are some possibilities that Jonah may have done after that? Or how he may have felt? Or how what his attitude might have been like? He could have continued preaching. Yeah, I mean, he's God's prophet. All right. Any other thoughts about what Jonah might have done? Yeah, he could have stayed bitter, couldn't he? Yeah, one of the answers I have down here is Jonah could have said, I'm still angry enough to die, so God let him. (laughs) I mean, that's an option, right? I mean, when God asks the question, shouldn't I pity, you know, do you have the right to to be angry? He could have said, yeah, I am still angry enough to die, so God just let him, you know? So he could have stayed bitter, okay? He could have continued to preach with or without an attitude, Right? Barbara? That's right. You know, have you ever had a really, really bad attitude? I could stop there. We could all raise our hand. But I just had a really bad attitude. And then after you got to thinking about it and God worked on your heart, you said, that just wasn't right. And you just kind of repented and went on. That could have happened to Jonah, couldn't it? Yeah. I just tried to think up some basic possibilities 
that might have happened to Jonah. And I, I, I've got four of them. The first one is, oh, I told you. He could have said, I'm still angry enough to die, so God let him. Okay. The second one I have is a possibility. Maybe Jonah continued to pout, but he obeyed God anyway. So he continued to have a bad... Tim kind of went that way. Maybe he stayed bitter, but he just continued to obey God. A third option, Jonah recognized his selfishness, prejudice, and hard-to-heartedness and prayed that God would help him change. Sometimes he did pretty well. Other times he felt himself slipping into his old ways, but he always returned to seeking the Lord and serving him as best he could. A fourth option is Jonah repented of his selfishness, prejudice, and hard-to-heartedness, served God faithfully the rest of his days. So you got kind of a spectrum from he just died to where he did what he's supposed to but with a bad attitude to where he repented and he did okay, but it was kind of up and down, still had his struggles to where he was just totally victorious the rest of his life. Now, we don't know which one's true, right? But I think we have a hint, okay? I have a feeling he went a positive direction. And the reason why is if he didn't, how would we know his story? The only person that knows all the details of the story is Jonah, okay? If he was still had a nasty, bitter attitude or if he died, how would we have the story, you know? So I have a feeling he took a turn for the better, whether he had his ups and downs like we do because he's human or whether he's just walked in victory. I have a feeling he took a turn to the right. Yeah, Vita, what were you going to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he changed because, like I said, otherwise we wouldn't have the book. And God never gives up on his people. You know, God never gives up on his people. Okay, so in the story of Jonah, though, what we do have in the book, we see Jonah responding to God's messages. All right, I mean, he's, God's calling him to take a message to Nineveh. But in doing so, God's giving him a message. And what was Jonah's first response to God's message? No! no! <laughs> I'm running the other way, right? And his second response was, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to have a terrible attitude. He may not have said that, but that's kind of what his response was. And again, after that, we don't know for sure, but I think he probably turned positive because of that. Now, what happened to Nineveh? Now, this we do know by studying history, all right? And I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of history, but let me just give you a quick progression here, all right? I mentioned when we started this study that Nineveh... Um, now is in the middle of a town called Mosul, Iraq. You can look it up on Google Earth. Um, it was a name that was actually heard a lot during uh, the war, um, the Iraqi war, um, because there's a lot of stuff that happened there. But that's where Nineveh is, and the ruins are still there, and archaeologists still are working on it, but that's where it's at. Um, at the time of Jonah, it was a major city in the empire of Assyria. It eventually became the capital, but it wasn't during this time. But Nineveh has a history that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. It was founded by this guy by the name of Nimrod, okay? Um, and you can read more about him in Genesis chapter 10, um, but it was founded by him. But by the time that Jonah came around, which was about 760 B.C., Jonah brought God's message to Nineveh, and at that time, it wasn't the capital of Assyria, but it almost was, and it was known as a very, very wicked city in the middle of a very wicked empire, okay? Shortly thereafter, it became the capital of Assyria. Um, Fifteen years later, under an emperor named Tiglath-Pileser, you may remember his name because it's in the Bible, he made Assyria the leading power in the ancient Near East. It became the empire that conquered everybody else. And the wickedness increased 
They, they, they loved to massacre people, torture people. They were very, very cruel, and this included Nineveh. So 15 years after Nineveh preached and they repented, there was a great majority of people that have gotten even worse than they were before Jonah preached. We'll come back to that, okay? And then in 722, which is just about 38 years after Jonah preached, Assyria conquered Jonah's nation, Israel. God let him do it because Israel had so rebelled against him that he allowed Assyria to capture them and basically send everybody into exile. So Jonah's fears actually came true. These are our enemies. They're going to attack us. They did. They did. Jonah was probably long gone by then. Okay. Um, in 705 BC, they greatly expanded and improved their, their empire. But then in 630, which is a hundred and something years after Jonah, God had another prophet named Nahum prophesy that Nineveh would be destroyed. A couple years after that, in 612, 15 years after that, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, three years after that, in 629 BC, Zephaniah, another of God's prophet, prophesied that Nineveh was going to be destroyed, and it was in 612 BC. Nineveh was defeated, destroyed by the Medes and Babylonians, and um, just like Nahum and Zephaniah prophesied, it became a place where people grazed sheep. And it was left in ruins for hundreds of years. Everything God said came true. He sent Jonah to preach, you know, preach destruction. They repented. God relented, but they became wicked again. And God basically says, your time is limited. He used them to discipline his own people, and then they were destroyed. So that raises the question. Was Jonah's mission worth it? I mean, if God, I mean, God knows everything. God knew it was going to happen. Why, why did God bother sending Jonah if he knew that 15 years later they were just going to be terribly evil again and then get worse and worse and worse, cause all kinds of problems for the world, including God's own people, and he's going to have to discipline them by having their empire destroyed anyway? Chris? If you don't learn from history, um, it'll repeat itself. Okay, but so, so that, what's that got to do with the question of why did God bother sending Jonah? Okay, so it's an example. Okay. Vita? To show God's power? So to give, to give them the opportunity. They did not, over long haul, take advantage of the opportunity, but he gave them the opportunity. The God of the second chance. You know, I mean, how many times does he do that with us as individuals? He gives us a second chance, and it's up to us whether we do something with it. I see your hand, Lori, but Ver- Veronica had hers up first. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's consequences when we turn to sin. And God has several places in the prophets that says, you know, if somebody repents, God will forgive them. But if they go back to their sin, they're going to be disciplined. Lori, what were we going to say? I'm thinking of Mm-hmm. Yes, that's where I was. That's where I was getting ready to go. I was seeing if see if anybody else can catch that. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's right. See, the thing is, we're we're talking about Nineveh as a city, representative of the whole nation. Okay, and God has great plans for cities and nations, and He cares about cities and nations. But even above that, He cares about individuals. We say, was it really worth it? Why did God bother? Well, for the individuals that did repent. How many of those individuals repented and still continue to serve God, even though the majority, perhaps, of the city or the empire may have chosen to go off and become wicked and evil again? How many people's lives were changed at that time 
that we'll see in heaven someday. And if he had not sent Jonah and they had not had the opportunity, that they wouldn't. You know, it's the same way. It's like, you know, we talk about the United States being founded upon biblical principles and all that. Kind of, and now look how it's come. And if God should so tarry, what's it going to be like in 20 years, 50 years or 100 years? Somebody could look back in history and say, well, why did God even bother? Because of all the people along the way that serve God and what God did through that around the world. You know, even though maybe the long haul, you know, so it's about the individual. Yeah, Bruce. Mm-hmm. That's right. You can see, uh, to summarize what you said for the recording, you can see that in the history of God's own people. Times when they served him well, times when they rebelled against him. You know, totally wicked. But the generation that served him well, they served him well. You know, and they had a relationship with God. And God never gave up on him. He always gave them a second chance. He would discipline them. And if they chose to ignore it, and it's just like today, God... Gives people opportunity to accept Christ. And if they say, forget it, God, you know. And so when, you know, when we talk about that, people get to heaven, they'll have no excuse when they stand before God. In the same way, the Ninevites will have no excuse. You know, this is a side issue, but it kind of explains a little bit. We can't dig deeply into it. But sometimes people say, well, why did God have his people go into Canaan and destroy and drive out all those people when they came out of Egypt just to give it to his people? When you study, you find out that those people were so tremendously wicked and God had given them, I think it was like 400 years to repent and they didn't. And so it was God's disciplinary action on those people. It's like, you've had all this time to repent. You're not, I'm moving you out. Moving you out. Just like you would see perhaps a police force in a city taking out a drug house, you know, or something like that. It's been in the neighborhood long enough. You know, we're going to get rid of it. So anyway, so for the rest of our time, I want to look at the practical part about how do we respond to God's message. We talked about how Jonah responded. First of all, he totally ran away from it, rejected it, disobeyed, rebelled. But then he did respond to it, but he had an attitude. The Ninevites responded in a positive way. But then over time, some of them perhaps, but definitely their ancestors went a different direction. But how do we respond to God's message? There's a statement I make a lot. I haven't made a lot recently, but I like to say, and that is that God wants to speak to you every day. I believe that. God wants to speak to us every day. I don't mean in an audible voice. I've never heard God speak in an audible voice. Um, I don't know very many people that ever have heard God speak in an audible voice. I have met some people, I can't think of any examples right now, of people saying, well, I think I really did hear God speak in an audible voice one time. That's not the way he usually does it. He speaks through his word. Okay, But I do believe that God wants to speak to us every day, but we've got to be listening. But the other part is, even if we're listening, how are we going to respond? And I want us to look at Luke chapter 8 now. We're going to go to a second passage, and this is a story that most of you Maybe all of you are very familiar with. It's one of the stories that Jesus told, one of his parables. And it's the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. Okay? So we're going to read through this. And I will just tell you that in context, this parable is about God's word, his message of salvation coming to them, and whether or not they accept it or reject it and why. But the principles in here can also apply to us, even though we've already accepted Salvation as to how we respond to individual messages from God, okay? Not just the message of salvation. So let's read the parable. It's Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, and then he gives the interpretation in verses 11 to 15. So starting in Luke 8, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in the parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, 
and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This story was something, uh, basically was a parable from everyday life that, that all the people back then would understand. He's talking about a farmer that's going to go out and sow his field. They didn't have all the farming equipment we have nowadays. They would have a bag of seed, and they would walk out into their field, and they would reach into that bag of seed. I'm sure they got very, very good at it and didn't waste very much, but they would cast it out, Okay. But around that field, and sometimes through the middle of the field, would be pathways. And because people walked on it all the time, it would be beaten down hard. So if he wasn't careful enough, or he couldn't totally control it, some seed would land on the pathway, there was no cracks to fall in, to be under the soil or whatever, and the birds would come and eat it, and so it had absolutely no result. All right. Then there was some soil, it calls it in this uh, translation, in this version, you know, the rocks, but it's talking about a thin layer of soil over the rocks. In, in Palestine, there's a lot of places where the soil looks really great, but it's only about that deep. And then you got limestone underneath it. So the seed lands on that, it's going to grow up real fast. In fact, it may grow faster than the best soil because water gets trapped on top of that limestone. So it's going to be wetter, damper, moister than the good soil. And so you may actually have seed that grows up quicker and taller at first, but since the roots can't get down deep when the sun hits, it's going to wither and die. And then it says some that were sown among the thorns. Well, nobody would deliberately sow seed among the thorns, but when the farmers would clear their fields to get ready to plant a, a, a crop, what are they going to do with all the rocks and the weeds and the thorns and stuff? They don't have trucks to haul it away to the dump 10 miles down the road. They pile it up in the corner of the field. So as they're sowing their, field, sowing their seed, there's going to be some seed that will land in the brush pile. And it may grow up too, but all those weeds and stuff are going to take root again and grow up, and it's going to choke out the seed. And then, of course, you've got the good soil, which is what you want, and you, it grows and it produces fruit. So that's the background of this this story, this parable. And so anyway, um, the disciples say, what does this mean? And he says, well, I'm telling you secrets. I'm telling these, these stories to kind of, you know, get people to think and all that kind of stuff. So when we get down to verse 11, he actually gives them um, the interpretation. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Okay. It's God speaking. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who've heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing. They fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold fast, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, like I said, in its original context, he's talking about salvation here. The word of God goes out. The gospel goes out. There are people that totally and completely ignore it. You know, any benefit is totally, completely lost. There are people who say, hey, this sounds really good, whatever, and they latch on to it. But then when things get really tough, it's like, I oh, forget that. There are people that latch on to it. Maybe go for, but then other things cause them to just kind of drift in a different direction. 
All right? And there are those who accept and grow in their relationship with the Lord and all that kind of stuff. But, but like I said, it can also apply to how we respond when God speaks to us. I said God wants to speak to us every day. If we're listening, how do we respond? So let's draw, in the little time we have left, these four different things from this story. Okay, so number one, when God speaks to us, we can choose to, number one, reject God's message. We can reject God's, reject God's message. That's what we see in verse 12, the, the ones along the path. They hear, but the devil comes, takes away the word from their hearts. They may not believe and be saved. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a hard-hearted thing. It's a hard soil, represents a hard heart. God's word comes, whether um, he speaks to our hearts by his spirit, whether we hear his word because we've read it for ourselves, um, uh, or because we've heard it preached, or we've heard it taught, and our immediate response is to reject it, okay? How do people reject God's word? In other words, what do they do? In other words, um, somebody hears God's word, and instead of responding, they do what? Amanda. Okay, so they say it's not God's word. So they're basically denying that it's God's word. Okay, that's one response. How are, how, what are some other ways that people reject God's word? Chris? They kill his prophets. Yeah, God's people were really bad about that when they didn't like what they had to say. All right? They kill the messenger. Yeah, and there are some places in the world that still happens, by the way, and through history. Nina? Just totally ignore it. It's like, I didn't hear that. <laughs> you know, not admit that they heard. So just totally, just, just refuse to, to, to listen, all right? Any other thoughts? Those are all great answers. Yeah, Tim? They just reject it. It's like, I know God said it, but I'm not going to do that. They'll do what? Oh, they'll just oppose it. Is that what you said? Opposition? Oh, yeah, they get other people to agree with them. You know, I know God said that, or at least people say he said that, but I know four or five people that say that that's not what God meant. That's another thing, say, to, to change what they think God meant, right? Our society is really good about that, right? I mean, if there's something God says about a certain aspect of our lives lifestyle, sexuality, or whatever. God, well, that's not what God meant, okay? So I got down here, I mean, all the things you said, I said, they can deny it, they can defend. Well, I know God said that, but I'm the exception. But, you know, it doesn't hold true in this situation. But, you know, all these things, so they can defend it, or they can just ignore it. All those responses are exactly what the enemy wants us to do. I put this on your note sheet as a quote. What do these type of people say? I don't want to. <laughs> Makes me think of a little kid, right? God speaks. God speaks. Nope. I don't want to. I don't want to. All right. Number two, we can accept God's message as long as it doesn't make life too difficult. We can accept God's message as long as it doesn't make life too difficult. We can see this in verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no roots, so they believe for a while. But when the time of testing comes, they fall away. So we accept what God says, but wait a minute, this is making life too difficult, so I'm not going to do that part, okay? I'm not going that way. It, it makes life too difficult. you got the shallow soil, which represents a shallow heart, Maybe somebody who responds um, emotionally, but there's no real commitment. And when trouble comes, when there's a problem, forget it. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll serve God. 
um, until people start pushing back. You know, I'll share with people about Jesus until somebody gets mad with me. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give to God until I run out of money for the things I want. I'll treat my wife nice until she doesn't treat me nice and then forget it. You know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things. We're going to do what God says for a while, but if it gets too difficult, I guess I can't do it anymore, you know? And so what are some kind of problems or troubles that people could end up with in their life that would cause them to stop responding to God? Disappointment? Disappointment? That can be disappointment in God, too, right? I'll be talking about that on Sunday, by the way, in our series on Luke. What are some other things that can happen that cause, not that it has to, but it, it ends up causing people to stop uh, responding to God? What? Illness. Illness, yeah. Amanda? Not fitting in with non-believers. Peer pressure, yeah. I'll be honest, that's kind of a trick question because basically anything. Anything that makes life difficult because you're a Christian can be a cause, if people choose to, to say, I'm not going to respond to God anymore. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, if something really climactic, dramatic, uh, terrible, and it's like, God, how could you let that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like they're just being rebellious. Sometimes there's reasons. I'm going to talk about a lot of that kind of stuff on Sunday with the passage we're going to be looking at in Luke. Okay, Joe, and then we've got to go on. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Unanswered prayer. Yeah, that's another good one. But basically, any kind of trouble that we can't explain or any kind of trouble we don't want to deal with can become a reason or excuse to say, God, life's too difficult. So on your note sheet, the quote I have there is, I want to, but it's too hard. Uh, It's amazing to me how all these excuses sound like little kids, right? Well, I want to serve God, but it's too hard, you know? (laughs) All right. One thing I want to point out, that we're halfway through these three, four different responses, that these things can be an overall attitude that we may have toward God and him speaking to us, but they can also be attitudes that we might have about specific areas. So I want you to think about that too. We could actually be like, yeah, I'm loving God, I'm serving God, and we actually do good in 80% of our lives, but there's that one area. That one area. So I want you to keep that in mind too, because our goal would be to have the right attitude about every area of life. And definitely not have the wrong attitude about every area of life. But are there certain areas of our life where everything's really cool, but then there's other areas? It's like, God, I'm not listening. You know, I'll listen to what you say about this, and I'll listen to what you say about that, but don't, don't talk to me about my marriage, or don't talk to me about my finances, or don't talk to me about my sexuality, or don't talk, you know, whatever that area is. Where, what area is it where we aren't as responsive? It's perhaps other areas. Let's go on to the third one. We can accept God's message until something more important comes along. Okay? May not be trouble... But now there's something that's more important to me, and it's like i got to choose. Am I going to serve God, or am I going to do this? Or am I going to have this, or am I going to serve God? And something else becomes more important. We see that in verse 14. It says, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by cares, that's worries, riches, things we can get, or pleasures of life. I mean, doesn't that just describe what most people are concerned about in their life? The things that concern them? Or the things they want to get or just enjoy in life. So we can choose. Now, does that mean that God doesn't want us to do well and enjoy? No, God wants us to enjoy life, but within his guidelines, okay? But sometimes, you know, people are like, well, I got a choice here. I want to enjoy my life this way, but God says no. You know, I really would like to live for God, but I really want this more. Okay, it's really an issue of priorities. This is the seed among the thorns, the crowded soil, the crowded heart. 
So there's kind of a half-hearted response, okay? So there's all different kinds of things that can become more important. And it may be different for different people. It can be money. It can be a relationship that's not godly. It can be a habit. It can be just all kinds of stuff, all right? Um, the quote on your note sheet I have here that somebody might say, I want to, but I want something else more. I want to serve God. I want to do the right thing, but there's something else I want more. And that's an easy thing to slip into. The fourth one, of course, is the one we're, we're shooting for here, is accept God's mission uh, message without condition. Accept God's message without condition. We see that in verse 15. As for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Seed on the good soil, a faithful heart. The quote I have on your note sheet is, Yes, Lord, show me what to do. Give me the courage and the strength to do it. How many of you, that's your attitude 100% of the time, every day? I was going to say, if that's you, you're ready to go to heaven, aren't you? We all struggle still, don't we? But that really should be at the goal we're looking for. When, when God speaks, how do you respond? When God speaks, how do you respond? Last thing on your note sheet, because we're wrap, getting close to wrap up here. I, as I say, God wants to speak to you every day. So as you interact with God's word, you're listening to his voice, whether it's through your personal devotions, which I hope you're having, spending that time every day in God's word, um, a sermon, a Bible study like tonight, a conversation, reading a good Christian book, watching a good Christian teaching on Right Now Media or YouTube or something like that. And God speaks to you. How do you respond? And I have down here three questions I like to use. I use them myself, and I challenge you. When you're sitting down for your devotions, three questions, and you're reading God's word to ask yourself. Number one, God, what do you want me to know? This is about knowledge. Okay, now that by itself is not good. The people Jesus had the most trouble with in his day and age were the people that knew everything about Scripture. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have the other stuff they needed. But it's a good place to start. You know, God tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's First Peter. I should have put the, that on there. But in First Peter, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you need to learn. You need to grow. You need to, to get more information. All right? You need to, to study to show yourself approved, as Paul told Timothy. All right? So, Lord, you, know, you sit down, you read a chapter. You sit down, you read a paragraph. You sit down, you read a section. And you get down and say, okay, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Okay, knowledge-wise, what do you want me to know from this? Okay, second question is, how do you want me to change? This doesn't have so much to do with knowledge as it has to do with character. Who you are. You might read something about, you know, from Paul's writings, like Galatians, about the fruit of the Spirit. And you say, God, how do you want me to change? And he may speak to you and say, you need to work on being a little bit more patient, you know. Whatever. So it's something, how do you want me to change? Because we should always be changing to become more like Jesus Christ. And the third question is, what do you want me to do? This is just plain obedience. God, is there something you're speaking in this passage that I should be doing that I'm not? Okay? Where I'm not obeying you. Either I'm deliberately not doing what I'm supposed to, or I'm doing something I'm not supposed to, and I need to change that. So what should I do? So as we approach God's word, he could speak to us about things that we need to learn, knowledge-wise, Ways we need to change in our character or issues of obedience. You know, things that we're not doing that we should or we are doing that we shouldn't. Um, for that particular one, a passage that many of you are familiar with, James 1, 22 to 25, it says, Do not merely listen to, to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I should have put that on here. You can put down Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said that the person who listens to him and does what he says is like the one who built his house on solid foundation. When the storms come, it's going to stand. All right. So as we wrap this up, I just say, what's God speaking to you about today? And how will you respond? You're just going to ignore him? You're going to respond positively as long as it's not too inconvenient? Respond positively as long as it doesn't get too hard? Respond positively until something else more important comes along? Or is it like, Lord, I just want to serve you. Yes, tell me, what do you want me to do? Give me the strength and the courage to do it. I mean, that's, that's my goal. I don't do it perfectly yet. Hopefully, it's your goal too. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together tonight and for the last month to look at the story of Jonah and to learn from it. Help us to continue to keep learning, Lord God. Help us to keep, uh, continue to, to learn more information because that helps us make good decisions and know which direction to go. I pray that you would help us to change in who we are, that we become more and more like Jesus and, and the person you created us and have called us to be, and help us to walk more um, obediently to you, Lord God, and speak to us. Lord, maybe we got 90% of our life pretty much under control, but there's that 10%. Lord, there's that one area, there's that one situation that we're just kind of pushing you aside. We're kind of ignoring your spirit. God, I just pray that we'd have the courage to say, God, I want to please you in every area of my life. And God, I know that I've got areas to work on too. So point them out to me and help me to be honest enough to recognize it and just do something about it. And Lord, I need your help because I can't do it by myself. And Father, we thank you that you're always willing to speak to us if we'll listen. So give us ears to hear. Help us to pay attention. And help us to look to you, Lord God, so that we can hear your voice. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 